Hey there, Annie and Julie here. We just wanted to pop in real quick before we dive into this episode and announce our new show name. We're excited to announce that we're rebranding the Investing for Good podcast as the Life and Money Show. Now, this new name reflects the broad focus of our episodes and guests thus far and allows us to tell even more stories about living a meaningful and intentional life by design while also making an impact. We're extremely grateful for your support and listenership as we've grown this podcast and are excited to begin this new chapter so we can bring you even more valuable stories and insights. With that, let's dive into the episode. For most investors, I encourage them to get a policy that, you know, where they have premiums scheduled up to age 100. And some people might freak out when I say that. But the reason for that is because if particularly if you're an investor, as you have those returns coming in, you need somewhere to put that capital. You're listening to The Life and Money Show, a podcast that brings you the stories and strategies of people who are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth for their families and impacting the world around them. And now here are your hosts, Annie Dickerson and Julie Lamb. Hey everyone, Annie Dickerson here together with the fabulous Julie Lamb. Julie, how are you? I'm doing excellent. You know, I was going to ask you, I always come to these things with like questions because we don't get to talk as often as we used to. I I know you guys are taking a trip here coming up soon in April. Where are you guys going? That's right. So some of our listeners may remember the month-long road trip that our family took last summer. And so we decided we're, our goal is to be on the road three months out of the year of this like slow travel. We just love it and the kids love it. And so this time, last time we did the Pacific Northwest, this time we're doing the Southwest. So we're doing the Southern route, still a road trip. And we're going to drive down to Los Angeles. Then we're going to go over to Joshua Tree, then over to Phoenix and Sedona. We're going to spend about 10 days in Sedona. I've never been there. So I'm really excited about that leg of the trip. And then we're going to, on the way home, we're going to, we're going to camp a couple days near the Grand Canyon. And then we're going to go over to Las Vegas, which the kids absolutely love. They could not get enough of the arcade the last time that we were there and then Death Valley and then home. Nice. Nice. So you're not going to make it all the way over to Texas then? (laughs) Not this time. Maybe next time. Okay. All right. Bummer. Was thinking we could send you over there to check out some of our properties. I know, right? (laughs) I'll have to plan better next time because then I could write off some of the expenses if I were to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, anyway, speaking of being smart with your planning and smart with your money, today we have a treat for all of our listeners. Today, we're talking to Leslie Batson, our good friend and founder of Rebel Rock Wealth. And Leslie is just the reason her company is called Rebel Rock Wealth is because once she learned about these hidden wealth creation strategies like 
whole life insurance, which she's going to talk about in this episode, she realized that it was her duty, her mission to really bring that out in the open and to share those strategies with as many people as possible. And what I love about Leslie is she can talk about these really complex things like whole life insurance and really break them down in a way that pretty much anybody can understand. Yeah, it was it's so great because we've now had a couple of guests on the show talk about whole life insurance, but it's one of those topics for me anyway that I have to hear multiple times and from different people and the way that they explain it. So we've had a couple of different guests come on the show to talk about it, but you get this different, you know, insight because it is such a complex topic and so when you get just that different angle from folks it sometimes that one thing will just like click with you. And so I love that, you know, we've talked about it multiple times and part of the reason that we continue to talk about this is because it's one of those, you know, we always that's one of our questions, right? At the end of the show is what is one hack or strategy or something we can talk about. And whole life insurance paired together with real estate investing is one of those hacks. And that's why we keep talking about it. Because if you're not already doing it, we highly recommend, you know, reaching out to some of the guests that we've had on the show, reaching out to Leslie, and tapping her brain and saying, here's my situation, what do you recommend? What does that look like? And these are the experts that can really help you craft the insurance policy exactly the way it needs to be crafted to be able to reach the maximum benefits. But it was so cool, because I feel like there were, you know, multiple points throughout the show where she brought up like these little nuggets, uh, little tips and tricks throughout the whole show, not just at the end that we were even like, oh my gosh, like this is such a great like insight. We didn't have any idea about that. So uh, yeah, it was a great show. Mm -hmm. And for all of our listeners, if you're new to whole life insurance, what Julie just said is super important in that there's tons of ways to structure a whole life insurance policy. So most likely should not just go down to your neighborhood, all state or state farm agent and be like, Hey, I'd like a whole life policy because they may not know how to structure it for that maximum benefit, especially if you are going to use it in conjunction with real estate investing. So you really need an expert like Leslie to help you structure the policy the correct way. And speaking of structures, the same can be said of real estate syndication structures because they can be structured in a lot of different ways. So you really want to understand that going in. And so if you're new to the world of real estate syndications, a great place to start is our book, Investing for Good. And we've got a free hardcover copy for each and every one of you. Just go to goodegginvestments.com slash book. And now without further ado, here's our conversation with Leslie Batson. Leslie, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you so much for having me back. Hi, ladies. We're thrilled to have you. We're so excited to have you on the show today. Now, we've known each other for quite some time now. And I remember a while back, we created a YouTube video together about the real truth behind whole life insurance, which still to this day is one of our all-time most watched videos. So people love you, love the way you talk about things and explain things, and which is why we're so thrilled to have you on the show today. Thank now. You. I remember back not long ago when you were working a full-time job and you were building your business, Rebel Rock Wealth, on the side. And now I believe you've left your job yes. and you're focused full-time on your business, which is super exciting. And I know that through Rebel Rock Wealth, you help independent thinking 
professionals, investors, and small business owners to learn the whole truth about money and to help them control and build the wealth style they desire. There's so much to unpack there (laughs) and we're excited to dive in, but start by telling us how you got into this space in the first place. Okay. Well, you kind of touched on it. I had a career in IT. I've been doing IT consulting for, well, 20 years now. And so a few years back, I was, you know, just thinking like, I'm definitely not going to be doing this, you know, till I'm 65, 67 or anything, you know, close to that. So what do I want to do next? And so I really was just trying to figure out what to do. And I thought, well, what I'm going to do is to start supplementing my income with investments. And so I started doing real estate investing, not syndications, but I was doing some real estate investing. So I was listening to some different podcasts. And this one particular day, I was listening to one of my favorite podcasts and this gentleman came on and he started talking about whole life insurance and how to leverage it for real estate investing. And I was like, what, what is he talking about? I've never heard of this. I need to know more. (laughs) And so I became a little bit obsessed. He himself had a podcast. So I started listening to his podcast. I reached out to him. I'm like, okay, I don't know that I fully get this, but I know I need to get started. So get me a policy, sir. So I got my first policy. (laughs) And so I just started, like I said, I started deep diving and just trying to figure out how come I've never heard of this before, you know, it makes so much sense, but just it's so kind of opposite from, you know, typical financial advice. So I just decided, you know what, more people need to know about this. And so I just said, this could be my transition, right? So I wanted to, so I went ahead and got licensed, started just continuing to absorb, get as much education as possible. I became an authorized, you know, infinite banker, uh, infinite banking practitioner. And so I just started doing it part-time. So I, you know, still had a consulting contract. I had to take that to the end, which it ended in April, 2020. So that's what I was doing. And that's why I was building rubble rock on the side because I had to fulfill my contract. So during COVID, (laughs) that's when my contract ended, but it ultimately was really great timing because, you know, as many of us know, a lot of people start thinking about their finances. What have they not been doing? Are they protected? If anything were to happen suddenly with them, if they were to get sick or, you know, family member were to die, are they protected? So you know, last year was a very busy year. So it was a great time to be transitioning to a full time. And so I now, you know, I'm serving clients all across the country in many different states. And it's so it's really fulfilling work. And I love it. So it sounds like you started down this path towards real estate investing, which already, you know, a lot of people want to get into real estate investing, but not many people actually follow through and do it, right? You took the steps, you started to invest in real estate, and in the process of learning more about it, you sort of discovered this even more niche topic. And as you mentioned, you got obsessed with it. And that's the coolest thing is when that passion strikes you or that bug bites you and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't get enough of this. And so tell us at that point, did you then pause all your real estate investing? You went in all in on this whole life avenue or were you able to sort of bring those together? Yeah. So I would say I didn't pause, (laughs) just kind of slowed it down because, you know, IT is a very demanding you know area to work in. So it did demand a lot of my time and energy. (laughs) So between that and then building rubber rock wealth took up a lot of time. So I found myself doing more notes investing because I you know, didn't have to be as hands-on. So that's really what I do mostly <laughs> is uh, notes investing. But I, I definitely so, want to start to expand my real estate investing now that I have more time to focus on it. I just want to pause you there because I'm sure there are listeners who are listening who are like, notes? Did she just say she invests in notes? What, like <laughs> notes that people write? <laughs> Tell us <laughs> what real estate notes are. Yeah, so... 
Investing in notes is like mortgage notes. So just like for you, for your own home, you have a, a note, right? A promissory note to the to the bank. You put down, say, 20% on your mortgage, and then you're, you know, you owe 80%. The bank holds the note. But there are also private investors who do that. There's a lot of cases where, especially in the Midwest, where you might have homes that are, you know, maybe $50,000 or $60,000 or far less than $100,000. And a lot of banks won't even finance a loan, a mortgage for under $100,000. To them, it's not worth it <laughs> from a cost perspective, processing perspective. So what do those people do? I mean, they have good credit. They want to build, you know, equity and wealth in their family. They need to find financing for a mortgage. And so you find, you know, private investors like myself who will buy notes. And so basically I'm the bank, right? I'm, I'm who they make their mortgage payment to. So for me, it was great because I don't have to worry about tenants and toilets. <laughs> I just can kind of collect that check. And of course there's, you know, there's a due diligence process. There's of course things can go wrong. You know, people don't pay their mortgage if things happen, but that's really the area of real estate investing. I've kind of stuck to at this point, just because it doesn't take as much hands-on once you have the deal in place, it doesn't take as much hands-on work. And so I was able to focus on my business. And what so, are the average like returns that you typically see on notes? Because I think it's helpful for people out there who are like, oh, this sounds interesting. I might be curious about this. What could they expect? Well, that's going to vary, right? As everything, it's like, it depends, but it does depend because you can do partial notes, which means that like, let's say that somebody actually owns a hundred thousand on their home. Another investor might just need some cash and might say, Hey, Leslie, I'm going to sell you, you know, 60 months of this, of this note. And you get those returns for the next 60 months. So, you know, for me, that could be, you know, whatever percentage. And usually for the deals that I do is double digit. Now you might do an interest rate of maybe, you know, 7% or something like that with the borrower. Right. But when you actually start investing it, selling it, that kind of thing, your return can be much higher. I mean, it's definitely double digit returns. So you could do partials, you could do investing in junior. So like uh, if someone has a second mortgage on their home, you could just focus in that area. Like there's really, I guess you, I would say under note investing, there's different, you know, subsets or yeah. different segments. I've primarily focused on primary, you know, first notes. <laughs> so yeah, so it definitely can vary, but it's typically double digit and it will depend on, you know, just the terms of that particular note. Love that. We're going to have to have you back on to talk about that. I don't want to hijack this conversation. I could sit here and ask you all about note investing. It's an area that we actually have yet to bring anyone on to really talk in detail. I think we did have actually, I take that back. We did have one guest page that we brought on a couple of months ago and we got to deep dive, but I think outside of her, we haven't. And it's such a great area for people to learn about an alternative to real estate investing because the returns are a little bit higher there, but it doesn't come without the risk and all the things that you're talking about. So we'll leave it at that and we'll save that okay. for another show. But thanks for okay. sharing that. Yeah, sure. So at this point, you're just sort of slowing down on your real estate and then you get into this very niche topic that very few people know about, which is infinite banking and whole life insurance. Now, I don't know about you, but infinite banking sounds a whole heck of a lot sexier than <laughs> whole life insurance. But tell us, give us the high level overview of what it's all about. Sure. And so I like to tell people there's the tool and then there's the strategy. So whole life is the tool. Yes, it is boring. It is that part of your portfolio that no one even wants to talk about because it has to do with death. My God, um, it has to do with, you know, thinking about things that you don't necessarily want to think about. So it's that tool. 
but I think it's probably the most critical vehicle that anybody should have in their portfolio, right? And, you know, aside from infinite banking, just whole life insurance on its own or just life insurance on its own, I tell people to think about, especially if you're an investor, just think about, it doesn't matter what type of investing you do, there's some level of risk, there's some level of volatility. And just think about the worst case scenario, if that investment were to go completely sideways, would all your money be completely gone? For many people, yes. Now, had you had a whole life insurance policy and leveraged it in such a way like you could with infinite banking, which I'll explain in a second, you are actually, you know, even if that uh, same investment went sideways, you actually have some ability to recover that money, right? It's not a sunk cost even if it means that that your family recovers that money upon your death, right? But in some way, you are recovering that money. It is not just like a total sunk investment. So I feel like the one thing people don't understand about whole life insurance is obviously the death benefit is critical. It is what you want to, uh, you know, to, to help replenish or replace any money that you've kind of spent throughout your years. And I, and I tell them to think about it. I said, think about all the taxes that you pay throughout your lifetime. And I mean, not just your you know, federal and state income taxes, but think about your property taxes. Think of your sales taxes. Think of that beautiful vacation getaway, the resort taxes that you paid, your cell phone bill, all the taxes that you pay throughout life. It's tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars. And think about in one foul swoop, when you pass away, you can replenish those dollars to your family, to your estate when you do pass away. It's one way to recover some dollars. The other thing that whole life insurance does is really acts like a savings account. It's really what I try to tell people. It is not to replace investing. It works hand in hand with investing, but it's not an investment. Whole life insurance is really like a savings account. So if you are putting money, if you have money sitting in a current bank account savings or money market account, it's earning 0.1% or even 1%, but inflation is two or 3%, It is literally costing you money for your money to be sitting in the bank. If you have your money sitting in a whole life insurance policy, it's easily going to be earning anywhere from three to 5%. You know, you can kind of look at that over the course of time, then it's at least keeping up with inflation, right? So that's at least one good reason to put your money in a policy versus sitting in a bank. But it's also a private asset. It's basically a contract between you and the insurance company you are agreeing to make premium payments. They are agreeing to pay out this death benefit to your loved ones in the event that you pass away. And in the meantime, you get to build up this money inside the cash value account that you can use while you're alive. So it's not something to focus on about, oh my gosh, this is only about when I die. It's like, whoa, wow, I can actually use this while I'm alive. And look at all these different ways that I can do so. And so I show people how they can use it, whether it's for you know, paying off debt, it's for leveraging for investments, paying for a wedding, paying for couples who use it for IVF. I mean, there's so many different reasons why you need to tap into, you know, a stash of cash is what I like to say. So it's really just one of those tools that people don't understand. They're very focused on the death benefit and just don't know enough about the ways that you can use it while you're alive. So that's the actual tool. Now, infinite banking itself is, you know, what a lot of investors understand is the concept of leverage using other people's money. The difference is that what you can do with anything, right? You can, people will say, oh, well, I can just, you know, take out a loan for my 401k and use that for an investment or use that to pay, you know, for whatever. And yes, you absolutely can. It's the same process. The difference is though, when you take it out of your 401k plan, your balance actually drops by the amount that you've actually taken out or borrowed they are going to determine what your payments are going to be, when you have to pay it back, 
And if for some reason you were to be terminated or you weren't able to pay the loan back in a certain time period within 60 days, let's say if you were, if your employment did terminate, not only do you have to pay the 10% penalty, but any outstanding loan amount, you're going to you know, have to pay taxes on, right? So there's some level or some risk there and definitely a loss, less control. If you were to do this with any other vehicle, it's essentially the same thing. With a whole life policy, it's the only opportunity, it's the only vehicle where you can actually borrow that money. Your money is untouched. It's essentially using the money that you have in your policy is like the equity. So just like in your home, you can build equity in your home and you could take out a HELOC. It's the same thing with your whole life insurance policy. So if you build up cash in your policy, let's just say, just to pick a random number, maybe you have $50,000 sitting in your cash value account, and maybe you want to borrow you know, 25,000 for a deal, you can borrow that 25,000. It's the, the insurance company will lend it to you based on what you have in your cash value. So they're like, okay, she's good for it. <laughs> and they will lend you that $25,000. There's no application form. There's no credit check. You literally just call them up and say, I'd like to, you know, borrow 25,000. They essentially they'll ask, would you like it, you know, mailed to you? Or would you like it sent to the, you know, the account where we take your premiums, you make that decision. And usually, you know, in less than a week, that money is in your hands or in your account. And of course there is a rate, you know, there is a loan interest rate. There's a, a cost to borrow that money. However, you determine the terms by which you pay it back. So you can pay it back monthly, annually, never, <laughs> of course, don't encourage you to not ever pay it back, but you can certainly determine when you want to pay it back because it could be something where it was a large sum. It was for maybe a commercial deal or some large deal. And you're just going to wait for that, you know, three-year, five-year, 10-year period to pay it back, right? You have complete autonomy to do that. So you have so much control. Now, of course, keep in mind, you would still be, you know, owing any interest on the outstanding loan balance each year, but again, no one's going to be like, oh, well, you haven't paid your loan back and there's some you know, penalty or there's nothing negative that's going to happen to you. So with infinite banking, what we're really doing is modeling your own personal finances and how you do it after the banking system. So today you get paid, you deposit that money into the bank. They say, thank you for allowing us to hold your money. In return, we're going to give you 0.1% back interest. And you say, thanks. So generous. <laughs> so generous. But then they say, oh, but don't you need a credit card? We would be happy to give you a credit card with 15% interest or 23% interest or whatever that is. And you say, thanks. Why? Because that's what we know, right? We're programs that just take credit card. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as you pay it off, right? But let's just say we do. Let's just say that we do get a credit card. Let's say it's you know 15% interest and we do have a balance on it. Well, we would be paying you know that 15% interest over time until it's paid off. And so what you can do now is essentially just use that logic to, for yourself. So the bank is paying, it's costing them 0.1% because they're giving you 0.1% to hold your money, but they're making 15%, right? That's like 1400% <laughs> return or whatever that works out to be. So you can essentially do the same thing for yourself. Let's go back to that same $25,000 example. So let's say you've now borrowed 25,000 from yourself. And let's just say that rate is, uh, let's say that um, company is charging you 4.4%. That's one of the rates that one of the companies I work with charges for loans. So it's costing you 4.4% to leverage your money, but you can pay yourself back at a higher rate. So you're going to pay back the insurance company at their 4.4%, but you can pay more money to stuff more money into your cash value. So in the end, let's say it's maybe 
whatever, two years, five years, however long it is for you to pay back that 25,000 for that loan. You've also in the meantime, been able to stuff more money into your cash value policy. So each year, if and when dividends are declared, and I say if, because dividends are not guaranteed. However, if you're using you know, a solid mutual life insurance company that has paid dividends every year for the past hundred years, which is again, companies I work with, then you can almost assume <laughs> that you will get those dividends. And so those dividends are being declared not on 25,000, but on the 50,000 that you had in there in year one, even though you had borrowed 25, it's still based on the 50,000 that's sitting in there. Year two, you're getting dividends on, you know, the dividends plus the 50,000 that was there the year before, et cetera, et cetera. So even if you take out multiple loans, your money is still growing in that policy, as long as you're keeping up premium payments and, you know, making and doing that. So it's really, there's no other vehicle out there where you can actually do that. Anytime you're going to borrow against the equity you have, you are still, you know, reducing the amount of money that could be, you know, worked and earned or earned interest on. So I say that whole life is the perfect companion to investing, especially real estate investing, because they work hand in hand. It's not like your dollar. It's not like you have to decide, should my dollar go to my policy or should it go to the investment? Nope. Let it go to the policy and then leverage it for the investment. And, you know, you just continue to work that model and your balance continues to grow. It stays out of the purview of the IRS, unlike qualified accounts like IRAs and 401ks. Again, it's a private contract between you and the insurance company. So what you've got going on there is completely your business. Maybe it's just me, but while you were talking, I could have sworn I heard the sound of minds being blown all <laughs> over the place, like, especially for our listeners who are hearing about whole life for the and infinite banking for the first time. I'm sure they're like, what? This sounds way too good to be true. You mean I can put my money here and you have it growing here at the same time? And yeah. so I wanted to ask you this question though. So a lot of people, when they hear about whole life insurance for the first time and infinite banking, they think, wait, that is way too good to be true. What is the catch? So tell us, Leslie, is there a catch? Is there a risk? What is the downside to leveraging a strategy like this? I mean, there really is no downside. I mean, I can honestly say maybe not everybody will qualify for a whole life insurance policy, right? So qualify for life insurance. There is a health component to it, right? You know, with all insurance, doesn't matter if it's health insurance, car insurance, life insurance, it's all about transferring risk from you to the insurance company. So from a life insurance perspective, they need to have a good sense of your health, right? If you have maybe a history of health concerns, it doesn't mean that you're not going to get a policy. It just means obviously there's going to be some, you know, they're going to be scrutinizing it and they may alter how much they might cover you for or something like that, right? But certainly your health status is going to be one factor. Your age is going to be another factor, right? That's why I always encourage people to get insurance as young as possible. I mean, literally a baby 15 days old can get a life insurance policy, and that's usually when you're as healthy as you're ever going to be. So, you know, the younger you are, the more affordable it's going to be, right? Because again, actuarial science, you know, it's not like the roller coaster of the stock market or anything like that. It's what's called actuarial science. That's what applied, what's applied. And they are looking at your age. They're looking at, you know, if you're male or female, they're looking at maybe where you live, 
They're looking at your health, they're looking at your income, all these factors are considered when they decide, you know, will we insure this person and for how much? So again, the older we get, we typically start to develop, you know, more health issues, that kind of thing. So again, it doesn't mean you won't get a policy. It just means it might take a little more scrutiny and it might be a little bit more expensive. So the sooner you start, the better. But that's really the biggest risk is if you're not able to qualify yourself for a policy. But that doesn't mean that that's the end, right? Because many people who, are, who do fall into that category, um, they can pop, uh, possibly get a policy on their spouse. You can get policy, of course, like I said, on your children, you know, grandparents can get on their grandkids. So I have some clients who are, you know, like they're single, but they are now kind of, they can see that they're going to start taking care of their mom. Like their mom's going to end up moving in. They can get a policy on their parent. You know, there's lots of different scenarios. So maybe, you know, someone else can, um, someone who you have an insurable interest in, maybe they can qualify for a policy and then you can still leverage the strategy. We'll get back to our conversation with Leslie in just a minute. Have you been thinking about investing in real estate, but aren't sure you have the time or the desire to manage the investment? Perhaps you're afraid like we were that you'll make the mistake of choosing the wrong market or the wrong team and lose your entire investment. Well, that's exactly why we created the Good Egg Investor Club. We do the work of identifying solid real estate investment opportunities in the best markets around the country and then partner with you to acquire these investments and then we'll all share in the returns. We'll identify the growing markets, strong, experienced teams, and the solid deals. We do all the heavy lifting of managing the tenants and the renovations, and as a passive partner, you get to enjoy all the benefits of investing in real estate, monthly cash flow, long-term appreciation, and the ongoing tax benefits. When we first discovered passive investing through real estate syndications, we realized it fit perfectly into our busy lives. We could put our money to work for our families, work less, and get more time back in our days so that we could focus on what matters most and discover our true passion and purpose in life. We've now helped hundreds of people invest passively in real estate syndications and are seeing the positive impact it's had on their lives. We invite you to partner with us by joining the Good Egg Investor Club today so you can start putting your money to work for you and get more time back in your day because we know that when people have more time in their days, they can do the true work they were intended to do and the world will be a better place. To sign up for the Good Egg Investor Club, go to goodegginvestments.com slash invest and we'll take it from there. That's goodegginvestments.com slash invest. And now back to our chat with Leslie Batson. You mentioned affordability. And I know that's a question that a lot of people have. There's a lot floating out there about whole life insurance is too expensive. Get term life insurance instead. So, and I know all three of us know that's not necessarily true. So tell us a little bit about how whole life compares with term life. Sure. So now I'm not going to knock term life because I definitely think there's a time and a place for term life insurance, especially for younger people when they're just starting out in their twenties, they may not be able to afford as much whole life insurance as they would like. However, there are two different types of term life insurance. There's convertible term and non-convertible term. So if you are going to get a term insurance policy, please, please, please get a convertible term policy. 
What that means is over time, basically you're going to go through the underwriting process. And once you get that policy, it means that you can convert any portion or all of it into a whole life policy without having to go through the underwriting process again in the future. Okay. So again, this may be a younger person. This may be someone coming out of divorce. This could be just someone who right now financially can't afford larger premium payments for whole life. Many times I will do a combo. I will get them a term policy so they can have kind of maximum coverage, but I will also get them a smaller whole life policy just so that they can get started and building up cash value. But term insurance is very, you know, quote unquote affordable <laughs> because again, if you think of actuarial science, the reason that insurance companies charge so little for term insurance is because the likelihood of you dying in that term. So most people, their term is 10, 20 or 30 years. Most people are, the likelihood of you dying in that time frame is so low that there's basically so little risk to the insurance company that they're, it's basically a cash cow for them, right? And the latest statistic I heard was like less than 2% of term life insurance policies ever get, uh, you know, filed in a, a death claim. And, you know, it's not a scam because like I said, there's a very legitimate use and need for it, but it's just that most people are not going to die in that time frame. Now, whole life insurance is just that it is there for your whole life. So that term is, it could be 50 years, it could be 80 years, it could be 90 years, depending on how long or how old you were when you got that policy. But the whole life insurance policies today are in place for 121 years. <laughs> so, you know, if you get the policy when you're 20, 40, 60, it doesn't matter, you will be covered up to age 121. So as you can imagine, the cost to insure a person as they're the, the likelihood of them dying is going to increase as they get older. So those costs are factored in throughout the lifetime of that product. So you're going to be paying those premiums that are going to cost more than term, but you're going to be paying those premiums for you know, that period. Now you can have a policy structured to where you might only pay it for 10 years. You might have a policy structured where you pay it up to age 65. But for most investors, I encourage them to get a policy that you know, where they're, they have premium scheduled up to age 100. And some people might freak out when I say that. But the reason for that is because if particularly if you're an investor, as you have those returns coming in, you need somewhere to put that capital. And that is the best place, like I said, if you want to think of it as a savings account, but that's the best place to park your money so you can continue to leverage it for future investments and that type of thing. If you have a policy that's structured to where premiums stop after 10 years or stop at age 65 or something like that, you can no longer put additional money in. You can continue to use it, like to leverage it for infinite banking, but you can no longer put more money in. And so oftentimes people find themselves having to get another policy or multiple policies because, you know, they need somewhere to put that cash. I have a question. I know that one of the things that folks always talk about when it comes to these types of policies is they always say you have to make sure that you work with somebody who is knowledgeable about the infinite banking strategy, because you can't just go down to like, I don't know, whatever your neighborhood insurance place and say, hey, I need to get a whole life insurance policy and apply the same strategies that you're talking about. They really wouldn't know how to do it. Is that right? Is that your understanding too? That's definitely true. You know, like you can get out there on YouTube and you'll see a lot of people, you know, explaining infinite banking or, you know, mm -hmm. similar terminology, but it's basically yeah. the type of thing. So I would just say that a typical financial advisor or someone who typically issues life insurance 
they're not taught the strategy. So they're going to issue you a policy, like a standard policy, which I could do as well, but they're going to basically issue you a standard policy that's not designed to maximize your cash value buildup, right? Mm -hmm. They're just going to focus on the death benefit, which is important, but they're going to be focused on death benefit over cash value. So they may not know how to structure the policy properly. The second thing is that there are two different types of insurance companies. There are mutual life insurance companies, and then there are stock like stockholder companies. Mm -hmm. So mutual life insurance company is a life insurance company where the policy holders are the owners. What does that mean? Why do you care? (laughs) Because it means that you as the policy holders being the owners, you are the ones who get all the dividends, right? When the profit, when all the costs have been taken out and the profits are split out and the dividends that I've referred to, you're getting, you know, I'll say maximum dividends as a policy holder. If you have a policy with a stock company, you know, just like with any company, their first priority, or I guess, you know, their priority is are the shareholders. And so number one, as an insurance company, I'm less comfortable with that. I'll just use that word because if your focus is satisfying shareholders, that means your focus is profit. And of course, insurance companies have to make money, but you may be more tempted to take a little bit more risk with the type of investments that you put your money in. And therefore, you don't know if that money will be there when people need to make claims 20, 30, 50, 100 years from now. <laughs> and then thirdly, you know, if they've paid out their, you know, if they paid their shareholders first, that means there's less left over for the policyholders. So for different reasons, I encourage people to, you know, get a properly structured policy with a mutual life insurance company. So that you are getting those maximum returns to your policy. What is this? Have you ever seen like, what's the smallest amount that you could start a policy with? Like, is it just, can you pick that or what does that look like? Oh, absolutely. Yes. I mean, there's no one size fits all. I mean, like I said, if you have a child, some people it's like, you know, they're doing like, you know, a thousand dollars a year or Mm -hmm. whatever they can afford. It might be $25 a month for their baby. If you're 20, you know, you're just graduating school, you don't have a whole lot of money, but you've been told I need to do this, you know, maybe yeah. you can afford a hundred dollars a month or something mm-hmm. like that. I mean, mm-hmm. but again, because they're so young, you can do that. It's very different. Like say a 40 year old trying to do a hundred dollars a month, you're not going to probably get so much death benefit and it'll take a lot longer to build up cash value. Mm-hmm. But, you know, things can be done, of course, like again, factoring in age, health, you know, those kind of things. So, Yeah. So for anyone out there who's listening and thinking, gosh, I don't have the money to pay for these policy premiums. One thing that I've done is I've taken my down payment, and you mentioned this earlier, is put the money in and then take it out, right? So one thing that I've done is I've taken a small amount of money for one of these cheaper homes that you're talking about, you know, 100,000, 50,000, took the down payment, which, you know, would be 25,000, 30,000, something like that, front loaded it in my policy, pulled out a loan, bought the house, and let the cash flow from the home fund the monthly premiums. So if anybody out there who, you know, is thinking about, Hey, I want to get into real estate investing. I want to buy a single family home, or I want to make an investment into a syndication like we do, you know, talk with Leslie first before you make that investment. So you can start the policy, then pull out the loan and then use the profits from the investment to fund the policy. And actually somebody else is paying that down. You're not actually paying it, right? Because if you're on a single family home, your renter is actually paying for your policy premium. So so that's something that I've done. What I'm curious to know, what are some, because I'm sure you work with a ton of clients, specifically real estate investors. What are some of the strategies that you've seen your clients do along those same lines? 
Yeah. So there are people who, when they start to understand the concept, they're like, Oh, okay. Well, I've been putting, you know, X hundreds of dollars a month into my 401k. I've been putting X hundred dollars a month into this 529 for my kid. I've been, you know, I've been parking all this money in these different buckets. But when I just redirect those funds into a policy, into policy premiums and let that money build up there, because then I don't have these restrictions as to how and when I can use my own money. (laughs) Right. So that's definitely the primary way when people say, oh, I don't know if I have money. We just help them look and identify, like, where are you sending money today? (laughs) You know, Mm -hmm. another thing is really looking at your taxes because, you know, there's a lot of tax advantages by parking your money in a whole life policy than, like I said, into some of these other places. I guess I would say it's a lot easier to try to reduce your taxable income versus trying to invest in something and get a higher rate of return, right? Mm -hmm. Have a bigger effect by reducing your taxes than you would on trying to find a higher rate of return on investment. So we just kind of look at their overall, you know, finances, look at like holistically. And sometimes it's just as simple as, well, how much money are you putting away in your savings each month? Like some people like, oh, I I automatically have 10% going to this account. I never see it. I'm like, that 10% should be going into your whole life policy. So mm-hmm. there's just different ways we can look at their finances to figure out what is the best way for you to start funding a policy. And like I said, it might be that initially they have smaller premiums, but you know, I designed my policies to where you have some space, you have some room to grow. So it might be in years one, two, and three, you can only afford, you know, whatever it is, right. You can only afford to put in X, but maybe after that, once you've been applying the infinite banking concept, you've been able to pay down some debts or other things, your cash value has grown, you freed up some cash flow because it's ultimately about cash flow, right? But you freed up cash flow and maybe now you can put more money into your policy and you don't need a, a new one necessarily because it's been designed to have a little bit of wiggle room that you can put in more. But there are definitely people who, you know, get multiple policies. So I'm a perfect example of that. So my first policy, I was obsessed. I was like, I don't fully get it, but I know I need a policy. Let me get started. I didn't exactly put like all my money in there because I wasn't sure. So I have like a smaller policy, but I'm actually getting ready this year to get like my second policy because I I need, you know, I don't have enough space to put, you know, some of those, some of that money in. So I'm getting my next policy actually in the next couple months. (laughs) So you will find that there are some people who have like a portfolio of policies. Maybe they started with term and then they, you know, they kept the term because it was so cheap, but they've been, you know, adding on whole life slowly, but surely over time. So everyone's situation is different. It really just... How I work with them is to really understand what does your situation look like now? Where are you trying to go? It could be a business owner who knows like in the next, whatever, five, 10, 20 years, they want to sell. They need somewhere to put this big chunk of money. You know, this is, we talk about those kind of strategies. So everyone's situation is different. Is there a maximum number of policies that you can get on yourself or on anyone else? Like number. Yeah. There's no maximum number of policies. How it works is you have a, what's called a human life value. So I always use the example of, you know, you can get a Honda Civic and no matter how much you soup it up, you probably can't insure it for a million dollars. At least no insurance company is going to insure it for a million dollars unless it's like <laughs> diamond encrusted steering wheel or something, right? So a, a Honda Civic has a market value and that's what you'll get insured for. With life insurance, they call it your human life value. So they will look at, again, age because they're kind of looking at how many working years you have or income generating years you have They're looking at your net worth. Maybe you're a business owner. They're going to factor in these different things to determine how much you can be insured for. And so that's the number. So it's kind of like, what is your human life value? 
It doesn't really matter how many policies it takes to get up to that number, but that's the number. And now, of course, as you know, over time, as your net worth increases and grows, then you can get more insurance, but they're going to look at your human life value at that time and, you know, determine how much more insurance you can get. Ah, so that's interesting. So it's not just based on age. It's also based on net worth. Yes. Yes. So the more that is so interesting. Okay. I had no idea. Would it be beneficial for someone to max out their policies, like to try to get as many, as much as you possibly can? I I encourage you that possibly would. Oh, interesting. Because I mean, you you want to get as much as you can afford is what I say, right? Get as much as you can afford. Because Mm -hmm. again, that's creating that pool of money that you have available to leverage for investments, use for like, there could be a great, like, you know, unfortunately in the time that we're in right now, you know, COVID, I mean, there's probably a lot of different opportunities that are going to start to come about over the next 12 months and you would have money available to tap in to do that. Right. Yeah. The, the more, I guess, death benefit or, you know, the more, so the, the greater your human life value, right. The, mm-hmm. the more coverage you have or the higher your death benefit, the more cash value you have because your cash value grows right. and your death benefit grows along with it. Mm-hmm. So the more money you have available in your cash value, the more, you know, like I said, you can tap into it for whatever reason, whether it's an emergency or an opportunity. Got it. Okay. I wanted to ask a question about timing because this is something that our investors have asked us. So I'm sure there's an investor listing out there right now who's like, okay, I've got $50,000 ready to go. I want to put it into a syndication, but shoot, now I've heard Leslie talk about whole life insurance <laughs> and infinite banking. And I want to do this first. So if somebody's listening, they've got 50K to invest or 100K to invest, and they're like, okay, wait, I want to set this up first. Talk to us a little bit about the timing. And I know it varies from policy to policy, but talk to us a little bit generally about the ballpark timing to get that cash value up to your original investment or starting amount. Well, okay. First, I would say if they are like considering an investment versus the policy, unfortunately, there is an application period and it's really just out of my control. (laughs) So it does, it can take some time. I've literally had one from like application to premium payment in a week. And then I've had one that takes three months. And ultimately that time frame can vary a lot of times. The factor is the doctor's office. It's just trying to get your medical records. That is the longest and most tedious and most frustrating part of the whole process is the first step is we will complete an application. You know, I will gather some information, some health related questions, you know, we'll complete the application, we'll submit it. And then we're kind of, you know, underwriting, we'll submit the request to your doctor's office. Sometimes the doctor's office will say, oh, well, I need you to fill out this form, even though as part of the application, we provide you an authorization form that's signed. Some doctor's offices still want their own form signed. So all of that, you know, can take time and then they don't exactly rush to fill those requests. So it literally can be weeks waiting for that. So my point to bring that up is to say, if there's an an investment opportunity and it's like, you've got to go now, you probably want to do that if you don't want to miss out on the opportunity, (laughs) right? Because I tell people, that's why you just want to get the policy and just get everything ready so that when the next opportunity comes, you're ready. Because I can't control how quickly you can get approved or not. And there's there's also a cost to all of this to get a whole life insurance policy, right? So if somebody has $50,000 and they want to take that whole entire 50,000, not a penny less and invest it into a syndication, but they want to use this first, that could be an issue as well, right? So really briefly tell us about that. Cause I know there's a time frame to which that entire 50,000 would actually be available to you to withdraw under the loans that we talked about loan examples we talked about. So what does that look like? 
Yes, exactly. Great point. So there are three main costs that come out of an insurance policy. Okay. So the first is what we call the cost of insurance. So let's just say you've bought a million dollar policy. You made your premium payment today and God forbid you got hit by a bus tomorrow. The insurance company would have only collected a, you know, let's say a thousand dollars from you, but now they've got to pay out a million, right? So those first few years of your policy is where they're just, it's, it's, they just refer to it as the cost of insurance, really just trying to, re, you know, build up some money towards your death benefit. The second is just like any company, any business, you're going to have operating and administrative costs that just comes out of it. And then the third would be any commissions that are paid to the insurance agent. So those are the three main costs that are coming out in those first years. How your policy is structured will determine how quickly, you know, you'll see that get to that 50,000 mark, if you want to say that. That can all vary by how you design the policy and how you use it. Because people who are using infinite banking right away, they will see like they will recoup that money and it gets that $50,000 sooner than those who are kind of just parking their money and using it as a whole life policy. And that literally could be anywhere from say five years to 12 years. It kind of just depends on how the policy is structured and that type of thing. But I also want people to understand. So, so yes, there's definitely costs. You know, it's not free to have a whole life insurance policy. There is a cost. But I also think it's important for people to understand that the cost is different than say, like if you have a managed account. So if you have like a, someone managing your, you know, your brokerage or like a, an advisor who's charging you like a 1%, you know, assets under management fee. If you look at what that is actually costing you over 10, 20, 30, 40 years, it is substantially more than what you would be paying in, you know, in cost to your whole life insurance policy. And ultimately you always get, you're always going to make that money back up. It might take, like I said, five to 12 years, but you're always going to get that, you know, make up that money. It maybe costs you up front, but you, you make that money later. When that money is going out the door for assets under management or in your 401k or any type of managed account, that money is gone, right? I mean, you may make it back up in returns, but there's no guarantee of that. Right. Perfect. I love that. Gosh, I could chat and talk all day long. This is Annie. Annie and I, one of our favorite topics that we always <laughs> love to talk about because especially in today's market, you know, returns are kind of, eh, you know, they're okay. And so when you can find a way to give your investments a little bit of a boost, I mean, you know, at the end of the day, a 3% boost, it still means the difference between someone else getting a 7% return and you, if you employ this strategy, making a 10% return. So it can be significant, particularly over the long run, not to mention a whole slew of other benefits, you know, for your family, if in the event something were to happen to you. And so it's not just strictly for giving your investments a boost, but there's also just an inherent, you know, value in having life insurance around for you and your loved ones. So, yeah. yeah. And quickly, I'll just also add one of the benefits that really doesn't get talked about a lot is it's called an accelerated death benefit that comes with policies that are issued now with most companies, most reputable companies. What that is, is it's almost like, I don't want to call it a direct replacement, but it's very similar to long-term care insurance. So if you at some point were to get diagnosed with a chronic illness or a terminal illness, you can actually use a portion of your death benefit towards maybe long-term facility care or treatments, or, you know, if you decide if you were, you know, got a terminal illness and you decide you want to take a trip around the world, I mean, whatever you want to do, you can have access to that money to do so. And I think that's an incredible benefit for most companies. They don't charge for it. But it also just allows you just to know that you're not making, because some people do have a long-term care insurance policy. They never know if they're going to ever need it. They're not cheap. Right. 
But with this, you kind of have it built in your life insurance uh, policy. And there's also a rider called a waiver of premium. And that's also very effective because similarly, if you get sick, get into an accident, like you look at what happened with Tiger Woods, right? If you were just any regular person and you got hit like that and you're, you know, you may not be able to work for a few months, you may not have income coming in. The waiver of premium rider allows for you to, basically the insurance company will continue to make your premium payments. So they will waive your premiums for a period of time until you can start working again. So you don't have to worry about the loss of your policy. You still have that peace of mind, all those kinds of things. So there's different riders and features that can be added to a policy that give it even more benefits than what we've already talked about. Wow. Great tips. That can satisfy one of our three questions for our impact (laughs) round for sure. But let's move into that. We're going to ask you a couple of questions around life and money. So the first question is, what is one thing that you're doing right now to live a meaningful and intentional life by design? Well, I would say, I think it was, you know, launching Rebel Rock Well, <laughs> um, honestly, yeah. sound corny, but it's definitely the most fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life is helping people, helping families, but also because the way I've structured the business, you know, I basically do everything online. <laughs> so all I need is like my laptop and an internet connection and, you know, I can be anywhere. So like last year, my, you know, my parents turned 80 and I have little six-year-old nephews. I mean, I didn't get to travel because of COVID, but like this year, I hope to be able to go home and just, you know, spend the summer with them and spoil my nephews, you know, mm-hmm. spend time with my parents, see my family and still be able to work, right? That's what I wanted. When I left, you know, IT, what I wanted was to be able to do something that obviously I can, I can eat and keep a roof over my head, but it's going to allow me the freedom and flexibility to do what I want. If you haven't got the theme, I'm a little bit of a control freak, right? So I want to control my time and control my money. <laughs> so that's I you. love it. I love it. It's so funny because I feel like we're just turning into this, um, you know, whole world full of small businesses and entrepreneurship is on the rise. And it's so cool to watch it, you know, happen for us and others in the industry as well. And kids are going to be very lucky because they're going to have so much. It's going to be the norm. It's going to be like, what do you mean? I don't go to work? Like, no, I can work right here. (laughs) All I need is my laptop. So I love that. All right. Second question is, what is one life or money hack that you can share that'll impact others? lives right now outside of those two amazing little secret tips about whole life insurance? What are maybe some other ones you could share with us? Well, I would say something that people, a lot of people just aren't even aware of because, you know, related to what I do is, uh, you know, estate planning. And I would say one simple thing that most people don't think about is, and I'm trying to think, I think it's TOD, transfer on demand, I believe is what it's called. So for your, just your regular bank account, Go to your bank and say, I'd like to complete a transfer on demand form. What that means is in the event when you pass away, those funds will go directly to who you designate, whether it's your spouse, your kid, or whoever. You don't have to worry about that being in the will or in the trust and all that. It doesn't become a public thing going through probate. It's a very simple form and it will go directly to who you want without, you know, any tax consideration or anything like that. And I feel like that's the simplest thing. Like some people say, oh, estate planning is for the wealthy. And I say, no, it it literally can be just, I need, this is, if I were to pass away, this is who I want to take care of my kids. Or it could be a a simple step as going to the bank and making sure you've completed a transfer on demand form so that your money can get to who you want. And it's not like one of those things where the state is like sending you a letter like, hey, we found all this money. And, you know, and it's really because people didn't assign it to anybody. I love that. That's probably like the best hack I've ever heard on the show. <laughs> I didn't know about that. I'm going to go to the no, bank. No, me neither. I love that. All right. Awesome. Okay. Last question is what is one thing that you're doing right now to make the world a better place? 
Well, I hope this is helping make the world a little bit better of a place. But so last summer, when there's a lot of social unrest, particularly right after the George Floyd incident, I actually started something called No More Ignorance. And it's been, it was weekly, but now we're doing it first and third Wednesday, but it's called No More Ignorance. And I basically just called out to people on social media, strangers and people who I know. And I said, we need to have a conversation. You know, racism is real, whether you want to acknowledge it or not. Maybe you're not sure how to talk about it. Maybe you're uncomfortable but people treat people who don't look like them a certain way because of things they've heard or assumptions they make or stereotypes or whatever it is. Come to a safe space. Let's talk. Let's get to know each other. Let's break down these barriers. So there's no more ignorance, right? Ignorance is, is a lack of knowledge. And we see it now. There's a lot of, you know, increase in, you know, uh, hate against the, in the Asian community. Like there's all these things and it's really out of ignorance. So I feel like, and I guess in, June, in May, it will be a year, but we've been going strong and it's a very diverse group of people, you know, like Gen Z to like, you know, like, I mean, it's all ages. It's, you know, black, white, Asian, male, female, poor, rich. I mean, it's really a real diverse group of people who've been coming out regularly and we've been having these conversations and I do feel like it has helped people to feel more comfortable in asking questions about things that are uncomfortable and seeing the diversity of opinions and thoughts. And, you know, maybe not everyone agrees with everyone, but they certainly have a much better understanding and much better and much more respect for each other. And I think that is, you know, my little contribution and I help them or encourage them to take that to their families, take that to their workplace, take it to their business. You know, how are you showing tolerance and inclusion in those different areas? Because that's how we change, you know, actions. I mean, yes, it's important to, you know, vote in the right people in elected office, but this is a hard thing. This is like, what responsibility will you take yourself in making these changes? And so anyway, so I started that last year and and I'll keep it going as long as people keep attending. (laughs) Uh, Leslie, you're such an inspiration. Oh my goodness. Between No More Ignorance and Rebel Rock Wealth, it sounds like you're helping people in all walks of life from the little things to the big things. And so for our listeners who want to follow up with you and learn more, what's the best place that they can go? The best place is just go to my website, rebelrockwealth.com. And from there you can you know, get to any of my social links, you can schedule time to meet. Uh, I have, I recently started a book club, so you can join our book club. It's for independent thinkers. It's not only about money. It's about, let's think differently about education. Let's think differently about health. So it's uh, different things that we're doing there. So best place is uh, rebelrockwealth.com. Leslie Batson, founder of Rebel Rock Wealth. Thank you so much for being here and sharing your wisdom and experience with us today, Leslie. Thanks ladies. I really enjoyed it. Thank you. You've been listening to The Life & Money Show, the number one podcast for people who, like you, are living a meaningful and intentional life by design, building true wealth, and making an impact in the world. For more resources, check out goodegginvestments.com and be sure to join the Life & Money Show community on Facebook. And if you got value out of the show, please subscribe and give us a five-star review so we can continue to bring you amazing new conversations.